spookiest time of the year, there are a few guidelines all ghosts and goblins should follow. Always stay on sidewalks. Never go to a stranger's house. And never go out alone. Where the hell did you come from? Did you just hide? Are you... Are you not the babysitter? No, I'm not the babysitter. My friend... Welcome back, listeners. It's day 21. We've gone through three weeks of Halloween movies, and we are about to revisit another one, another classic, new classic in my opinion, Ty West's House of the Devil, released in 2009, starring Jocelyn Donahue. 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 <laughs> <laughs> went right down to Louisiana. Jocelyn <laughs> Donahue and Greta Gerwig. Tom Noonan. <laughs> Oh, boy. Oh, Off to wow. a good start. <laughs> Mary Warnowald. <laughs> Directed by Ty West. West. <laughs> oh, boy. You tell me we've been doing uh, these for a while, guys? Yeah. <laughs> we're, in the, uh, we're in the swing of things now. We got a nice flow. Uh, so, yeah, House of the Devil. Um, great little throwback retro type film. Uh, about a young girl, Samantha, college sophomore in college, who has a real shitty roommate and is trying to move out, not into the house of the devil, and, but uh, answers a babysitter call for some cash, shows up, it's a little creepy, and you know things kind of quickly spiral out of control from there. Although the film is very patient with drawing out the, sus- the suspense. I don't know about you guys, but I have this... I remember like my relationship with this film is I remember I was a freshman in college myself and I remember reading for some reason just remember reading a from my college newspaper review of this movie and it's sticking with me and I ended up not seeing it to a few years later because I remember being like hey who wants to go see this movie on Friday night and no one wanted to come with it so we all ended up in a basement house party instead so but I eventually saw this film sometime after college and I was quickly a became a big fan of it. It's kind of like my back pocket horror movie that I recommend to people. But I realized that I didn't even introduce you guys. Well, <laughs> yeah, you, I just jumped in. You introduced just, this movie to people, but you don't introduce yeah, us yeah, to yeah. people. My name so, is uh, Chris <laughs> Bonilla. <laughs> Cody Mason. Yeah. Buffalo Bill Mason. Sorry, you guys threw me off my game. We're, you know what? It's, all right. it's okay. I you, similarly you have every saw right this. to ignore us at this point. I saw this, I think as a junior in college when it came out and it was one a bunch me and my roommates i think were all very hungover and like on a sunday went to there was a small little independent cinema in ithaca that we went to shout out to cinemopolis and we watched the house of the devil and being hungover just exacerbated the tension i feel like in this movie and it, i, I it's mean a real gut twister yeah like 40 minutes in i feel like all of us were internally screaming like just scare me please <laughs> and then they did i think a lot of these ty west the your mumble next gore cra- the your next crowd the joe swanbergs you know like uh, the aj bowen stuff they all had a really good distribution lease like on early streaming netflix I think, you know, and I know this one was on Netflix for a really long time. And this was yeah. just like a really good, this seems polished horror movie. Like, I think that's like what Netflix was for horror for a long time was kind of what Shudder is now, which mm-hmm. is just like those 
maybe shy of a million dollar budget. Yeah, they had Antichrist movies. for a while. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean, that's that's just so watchable. But, you know, I think, you know, if you're not going to nail your penis to something, like they had just a lot of good, like Speaking of potatoes hell elevated <laughs> horror at the beginning of that wave when it was cool again. Yeah. So. Speaking of potatoes, this this was definitely one that I watched. I was just like expecting it to be just another little thing and then kind of got introduced to like, oh, this is, you know, the innkeepers, you're next. It's just, is it going to be your favorite movie ever made? No, but it's going to be something so competently made that you're just like, like I say with The Love Witch, I would compare this movie to that. Not that it's so strict in its homages, but like it's a movie that's doing send ups while also doing something new. And I think that's a great slice to to take out. As Ebert says, it's the definition of suspense. It's the anticipation, <laughs> not the happening. That's the mm-hmm. fun here. But to Cody's point, it really felt like a gateway to me when I first saw it. Sort of like avenue of horror films that were coming out around this time period. In the pre-David Gordon Green cinematic universe universe. <laughs> <laughs> And it's almost like a cheat code for me, but anytime I see like a freeze frame title card, I'm in. Yeah. It's like, I'm <laughs> like, I just love the that guest. sort of, those, yeah, exactly. And I hadn't seen this in a while and I could have swore there was like a jump scare before the, the still frame title or like right after. And so for the first like 20 minutes, like once again, I was sitting there being like, come on, like scare me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, the thing is that I like that it's I like that it's just it's completely stripped down to a very simple scenario. Like we have a girl who we know is going into a bad situation. You know, we know the bomb is under the kitchen table. Yeah. And even her and friend that, says, like, what did we say? If it was weird, we leave. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's she pretty tries. weird. <laughs> yeah, but it's good. To, it has really good. Like, it feels like a lived in. 19, early 80s college experience of getting pizza, trying to find a job, going to the news board, catching people mm-hmm. on the payphone, misconnections, like all of that is patient and crafted in a way that it's like, I think that's where you start to buy into like, this feels like the 80s mm-hmm. rather than just putting on feathered hair and blasting some song, which happens to great effect later. It actually feels like the reality of living in the 80s rather than the reality of remembering the 80s, which is a very different vibe. And I had totally forgotten about the intro text at the beginning that gives the little background on the satanic panic of the era. And and I was like, this, I like this. I like the the throwback to, you know, what they use in the Amityville Horror or, or Texas Chainsaw and some other films, even like Fargo, where it's like this is based on <laughs> true events. And and it's just fun. I like I like playing with that right away. Yeah, I mean, it didn't it didn't need to be set in the 1980s, but I think it's helped by being in the 1980s and it's not a slave to it. Like it's not like all that stuff is kind of icing on the cake, like some of the fun techniques to what is just generally like, you know, a pretty solid little story, a little haunted house story. And how can we stretch that out till basically the entire length of the movie until we get to the very end when it's revealed? Yes, the creepy people are, in fact, Satanist devil worshippers. Yes, you're going to be our vessel for our Lord to come back into this world during the eclipse, like all that stuff. And yes, we stole that Volvo. <laughs> yeah. Twilight Saga, oh. the eclipse, by the way. Um, yeah, I think one of the best things for me is just how much of this is taking what's familiar about other movies like Halloween, where you have Laurie Strode like 
dealing with being a babysitter and the tension that she feels as a cutaway. And other than, you know, the cutaways we get here to blow Greta Gerwig's face off, which we'll talk about, it really feels like if Halloween was a movie about just watching Laurie babysit someone and knowing it's a horror movie, like I would love a cut of Halloween that's just additional footage of Laurie like making popcorn, (laughs) watching more scary old movies or Night of the Living Dead on TV, and then, you know, just walking around and feeling uncomfortable in this space. That's how this movie feels. It's just those scenes from Halloween really well done, but having that be all you get for so long that the tension is like, yeah, so upsetting by the end. It's like, give me. Give me the scare, you know, Mm -hmm. because it becomes such an exercise in the suspense and the anxiety as people who are so familiar with the genre. We know a lot of these tropes. We're waiting for them. We're prepared. We're primed. And it's doing these classic camera moves, these slow zooms, these angles that we're aware of. And we're sitting there pretending we're smarter than the film. And then it just goes, nope, I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. And. And I, I love it. I, I the first time seeing this, I absolutely love it. It's just you're just slow burn done so, so well that it's such a fun one to introduce to people who might have missed it or or just are big fans of horror. But kind of over time, I feel like from our generation, we got so much into torture porn where this is the opposite end of that. This is it's torture porn where you are torturing yourself because you think you know what's going to happen the whole time. <laughs> it's getting edged. Yeah. yeah. It's ratcheting so much that it's stripping the screws essentially. Yeah. Like it's just the, the like even just to get to the titular house of the devil, it's like we're already a third of the way into the movie. We have like all the politics of getting a babysitting job that yeah. in another movie yeah. would be a quick phone call and then someone getting yeah. in the car. But it's like 20 minutes of like, oh my God, is it going to work at what time? How much? You know, it kind of needs to do that because it's it's very it's doing a very specific naturalistic performance from these characters. And it's putting it in as like almost mundane of a setting as possible or a situation of I need to get a babysitting job so I can pay off my rent. And I think all that works effectively because because we can be like, why are you staying in this house? Like, this is ridiculous. Like the guy when Tom Noonan opens the door and he's like seven feet tall <laughs> yeah. and just plays. Very super, yeah, like basically has, might With as well be wearing like one of those big like Count Dracula like cowls, ju- cowls essentially. And he's being like overly polite, but there's something just a little off that's very off putting and like. Especially when he's basically wife, like sniffing her from across the room. Yeah, and then his wife literally almost sniffs her and like like uh, like feels her hair and says all this weird like sexual stuff about her being like very attractive and all the boys love her. So it's it's all very off putting and it's just like why would she stay there? But I think the trying to see. That, if, I think she's trying to see if she's a virgin. You know, you got to ask those questions subtly. Exactly. Exactly. Gross. Yeah, that's <laughs> a very gross, gross part of the movie for sure. Yeah. I, I think. Yeah. Just to take it from there, it's so fun that not for nothing, right around this time when she's starting to get comfortable, like Jamie's talking about, and we're ratcheting that tension, there's just a great subversion, and we just need to talk about it, where the fun, you know, lighthearted PJ Souls character in Greta Gerwig, in a a starring turn, just 
you know, gets into what seems to be like a reveal moment of is are these people suspicious where she immediately gets her head blown off going for a cigarette. <laughs> and that's, you know, a huge moment that everybody kind of points to is like now it's funny because she's a famous director and now it's Greta Gerwig getting her head blown off. But just taking this back to 2009, you know, where Greta Gerwig is still just, you know, pre in some pre Miss, Miss America, you know, but I, I think Mistress America hasn't come out. I think we just have to respect that as a, another choice of like, oh, I'm going to give you what you want, but way too soon. You won't even process it. And then I'm immediately going to take you back to ratcheting mm-hmm. this isolated tension over here is so good at saying haha and pointing at people who think that they have a have a step over the director. It usually in horror movies where it's like, mm-hmm. you didn't see that coming back to other stuff that you're going to think is going to happen sooner, but it's not going to happen until I want it to happen. You know, so good patience <laughs> and it's also a great headshot squib that whole that that really does look is, good it looks yeah. really good and you know i'm glad that they they built up her character to be this very specific very well acted very well performed stock character that has a little meat on it that's a little different you know just to yeah, she doesn't like the pizza <laughs> Just to have that be her ultimate fate. And, you know, you would expect that character to almost be like the character who comes and saves you. Third act get, and saves you. In Get yeah. Out or something like that. You have the comic. But no, it's just like cleaning this off. And now we're just back to isolated. Just worry about Miss Donahue. <laughs> right away. She's like, this is weird. Let's go. Would you guys stay in the house for 500 bucks? Well, four, they only ended up at 400. 500. You know, spate, I thought I thought she said five hundred, and there was the implication that he gave in. Oh, I which, thought it was three hundred, and then he went to four hundred. Yeah, I think it starts but, at a hundred, then know. he doubles it, then he once. Well, regardless, he should just either give way he no, wants because like, he's going. He's not. He's going to get the money back, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, and even still, he's going to have to. Well, that's the thing. Is you know, we can talk about the end of this movie. It's always fun to think about, like, what's the plan gone right in this situation compared to the plan that goes horribly wrong where it's like you just want to kidnap her and have her be your rosemary's baby uh like mom you're just gonna move around so you don't get arrested like what's gonna happen i mean i think they could have you know in the rosemary's babying of the situation you you gotta be friendlier you gotta invite her in you gotta get a little stockholm syndrome out of her so that she loves you as a family loves the house that you've built and eventually gives birth to your demon savior my thing is that they might not be the most well organized. It's literally three people and their weird demon person. And also, this is like it's implied that this is it has to happen this night because it's coinciding with the eclipse. So you'd think that they would have planned to get the babysitter like a few weeks in advance, maybe. And he, he, there was a line of dialogue that may cover that where they they were saying like, "Oh, can you watch after our grandmother?" And no one respect like responded to that, so they had to do this last ditch babysitter con to get someone to come in and you know i guess and that's he mentions a woman that canceled before so you know they're doing the best that they can all right tom newman plays a great relieved creep yeah i think that's like such a good slice of just like hey i am the creepiest man that's ever existed (laughs) but i had a plan that was going really poorly and it all worked out in the end and him playing that with his wife and doing the i told you so is like such a weird character work of like yeah. oh the, you know the, basically the adams family being comforted that their plans didn't fall through I, it's i like that it's a little it's like subtly it's not like to me it never came off as over the top weird they're 
un- until the wife gets a little over the top. But I think there's like a nice escalation. Yeah, but of that's like, why he's the the face of the family. Yes, he's definitely the face. He's and, their most normal guy. <laughs> <laughs> which is saying something, yeah. <laughs> yeah, when he shows up and he just takes uh, uh, Samantha's hand, Jocelyn Donahue's character's hand, Jocelyn Donahue, Donahue <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> takes her hand for and just holds it for that long beat. And you're just like, oh, God. It's and that's, so that's why I love... Him doing that kind of character work, because I think of him in like another villain role where he's in the last action hero and he's like just tall and looks weird. So they cast him as like a serial killer who's very like performative in this like Joker kind of way where he's like slashing up people. That doesn't work at all. Like it looks a little like it, but that doesn't play to his strengths at all. Like Tom Noonan is physically imposing. Sure. But in those like quiet reflective staring at you a little too long and speaking with a weird inflection way and that's why i think they just nailed it having him be the face of the creepiness in this movie basically Mm because like aj bowen shoots a person there's a demon grandma the mom is just hamming it up about you know whatever but the real all of the stuff that makes this movie creepy is coming from his performance and the very specific type of performance that he's threading. And if you had given that to somebody who is less able, it would have come across as just like either way too muted and just kind of like a comforted babysitter person and you wouldn't have that same tension or way too hammy. And then just mm-hmm. you kind of throw out all of the like actual respect or tension for it being like a, a ratchet up crafted, you know, way of feeling. So props to tom cheers to yeah. tom for being the creepiest <laughs> man when he wants to and for him being like creepy and kind of kind-hearted and, and a bit soft in a way i feel like is eased by the house almost as a character it, it's it is an imposing house but it's it's such a beautiful victorian with the porch and then as they're sitting down you know there's just having snacks out and and the idea that it feels lived in it feels like your grandma or like your great aunt's house where you're like yeah grandma and or whoever is like a little creepy if you don't know them but like the house is kind of comforting it's nice in here it's not yeah it's not a uh cliche like haunted mansion it just looks it just kind of looks, yeah. looks like a, a big there's uh, no taxidermied things that are like staring down at you like oh yeah there's some candy like it's weird old people candy like one of those weird strawberry things that's been wrapped up for like 40 years like that one sucks <laughs> yeah. yeah and this is a really direct comparison but i think tom noonan being the bad guy again in a space where he just owns that space and him walking around a space making you feel uncomfortable about what you want to do. Him and Manhunter being Francis Dollarhide is a great example mm-hmm. of him chewing that up where it's like he, you know, with a blind woman is in a space where she's uncomfortable and he's trying he's doing that great line of going down the line of, hey, I'm really gentle and accommodating but at the same time i might stab you in a minute and i think both those movies end in a way where like eventually you have to give him a gun so it's kind of like all right that's tough but yeah when you're building suspense not maybe exploding the suspense he's just uh, there's no one better no one taller he's our <laughs> i wonder if he did uh apparently he was like very um what should we call it method acting during uh when he did manhunter tom noonan and i wonder if he pulled uh, any tricks like that for this film he I mean, turned into maybe. an actual dragon. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and Jocelyn Donahue is great. You know, acting against him, and you you just you feel like she's just someone you could follow along and and relax around. She, I mean, yeah, we really got to talk about her as like. I mean, she is the anchor of the film. She's the person we're with, like essentially the entire picture. 
And she's kind of become like a little scream queen. She's been in like little horror movies throughout. I just saw her in one last year. Yeah. Um, off season. She showed up in Doctor Sleep. Like yep. her, her career never took off like superstar status, but she's been working in a lot in these horror movies. And I think she's really good in this one as being someone that you actually do give a shit about and like don't want to get hurt because, you know, the whole movie essentially rests on you having empathy and caring about someone who you know is in a bad situation and doing something probably a little stupid. So for her to kind of exude this sort of innocence and earnestness and, you know, at the end of the day, like she's just like, I want my own place so I can study almost. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. she just, just like, doesn't want to come home to a sock on a door, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I think th- this kind of performance is a lot like, of course, Laurie Strode and, and you know, this is a Halloween-esque babysitter performance that you could definitely thread a needle and say it's like Jamie Lee Curtis a little bit. But I think the, the connected part of how those performances are good is about how if you're in a movie where you're just kind of walking around a house and building tension, you have to just serve really good concerned face that's really empathetic. And I think that's something that I would give, you know, like she's obviously very pretty and someone that like, obviously when people are going up to her and saying like, you're such a beautiful girl, this is great. You know, (laughs) it plays well and, you know, but she has a really good, good eyes and just kind of concerned, punched up, shriveled, like concern on her face when she's you know turning corners and discovering things that like it's the same kind of emoting that i think jamie lee curtis did to such good effect in halloween that made her like a seminal scream queen because it's not about the screams it's about the you know (laughs) the tightening before the scream and this movie is all tightening before the scream basically so i think that takes a very like that takes a very patient actor and someone yeah. who's going to like not give the most for every single shot that she's in, you know, and there's a lot of subtlety there. Yeah. And she's just, yeah, very comforting to to watch go through some of these <laughs> events as I think this is her first lead role. And I remember reading an interview, too. She does cooking or baking and like personal chef work or something, too. So it's kind of like she seems like a natural in some in these types of situations where you enter into someone's house to kind of help out or provide them with with some sort of service that's comforting (laughs) in a way. Yeah. And I mean, essentially the whole movie is her just walking around and looking at through the house. I mean, we have like the little, the great little musical interlude where she's like literally dancing throughout the house. But the the majority of the film is her after, you know, Tom Noonan and uh, Barry Warren, Warrenov, the wife character weave. It's just her in the house watching TV, ordering a pizza trying to call her friend, you know, that goes to her performance and the directing to like, keep it still interesting. We obviously have the tension ratcheted in the background. We know something's going to happen, but you know, that takes a lot to carry that through for 30 minutes until we reach the the climax of the film when things really start, you know, going off the rails. And I, I do not want it to be missed that it is hard to do a full blown viewer as voyeur dance around a room like, uh, like Hugh Grant in Love Actually <laughs> scene where she's just rocking it so one thing leads to another which is iconic and I think is like probably the best scene of this movie in terms of just cementing it as like we're trying to be something that's leading into the iconography and like the, the actual 80s presence of this kind of a, of a movie and you know we're, we're not that's when they're saying like we're not joking around we love this stuff and we're, we're caring and we're earnest about this stuff and 
that's a good performance she gives too. I think that's underrated there. It's just like, Oh, the, you know, cutting with this song. It's like, it's hard to dance like no one's watching to, <laughs> when quote, people are every watching. Mom, <laughs> to quote everyone's mom's, you know, a little, you know, uh, poster. I, I think it, it is a good, a good, goofy, earnest little number that sells what is now like one of the most famous parts of this movie. So great track. Great track. I mean, they, I, I wonder if that was, if that, if this song, One Thing Leads to Another, was built into the script from the very beginning, or if it was just like, Samantha dances around a house to popular 80s song, or something like that. And how, like, I wonder what the, the process of them picking this song, because it really just fits perfectly, where it's not like a, you know, it's not hollow notes or something like that. Right. Like, it's, it's just yeah. slightly... Just the level of familiarity that you need. To be like, this could be a song that I could see was number five on the charts. And Mm -hmm. I've heard it probably twice before. But now I'm like, yeah, that's a jam. You know, it's it's a perfect level. And it's a fully, fully now for me, at least like anytime I hear that song, I think of this movie. (laughs) Yeah, it's a good association when otherwise I think this movie wouldn't have the energy to get to the end if it were mm-hmm. literally just this contemplative. Yeah. And if she just like knocked over a vase because she was walking slowly in the dark, it would be like Chris would have thrown up his beer <laughs> from the night before <laughs> in, in Ithaca. So this injects this like extra life. And then there's exposition given because she hits this vase. So it's like, okay, we're entering a new, a new act, you know, mm-hmm. as much as this movie can have those kind of placeholders set out. Yeah. Um, right. But I think we haven't really talked about how wild the escalation gets after we we live in this house for so long. And you also get the kind of third person omniscient camera move as she creeps in to possibly check on the grandma and the camera moves over the room. And we as viewers get to see what's actually in that room. And then you come back out as a little like, hey, so, you know, you guys, you guys are waiting for something like it's in there. (laughs) Yeah, like yeah, this is happening now. We're starting oh, ratcheting it up. You know, that's where and, the family from the photograph. Yeah, went. that's yeah. the Volvo. And I <laughs> the do Volvo. <laughs> I do love in the lead up to that, that somehow in the universe of this whole movie, while they were trying to figure out how to switch from watching the grandma to babysitting, they also made a fake pizza place <laughs> that has a phone yes. line. <laughs> yes. I, well, I also think maybe AJ Bowen got a job at the pizza. Pa- I did think about this a little bit because I mean. They made a pretty presentable pizza. Well, it seems and I'm pretty sure it's the same pizza from the pizza place in town because when she tastes it, she's like, it's like, well, it makes the face and throws it out. And it's like, oh, but the I pizza think it's because of what earlier. they laced it. With. Yeah, that's what I my inter- interpretation was that was that it was from what they laced it. That, that why she didn't like the taste. Oh, I, I always just, thought that they did. All right. If I think it was a Q&A. mix. I think it's a. I think it's just also the bad pizza, unless all the pizza from that place is being laced all day. <laughs> Good I kind of thought that they just had a number at like a phone booth and he had like one pizza. Yeah. And they just called <laughs> and was just like, this is what we got. And he would just come up with some excuse. Yeah. Of like she's like, if uh, you want anchovies, like yeah. no, we don't got them. You well, know? I know like, it's lucky. The, such a nitpick <laughs> moment too, that like, 
I love this movie, so this doesn't really matter. But after she is creeped out and grabs a pizza and runs back in, she just holds the box completely vertically and, and then opens it up later like and the pizza I, is I, fine. Yeah. Hey, you know or what? I guess it's actually dirty. this is probably what happened. They gave a they gave a phone booth number for her to call. She calls, he takes the order, he just goes to the pizza place. Yeah, I think he whatever, buys the pizza. pizza. Yeah. yeah. Buys the pizza, laces it with whatever and knocks her out. I, I think part of it though, I don't know. Is that she's tasting it, and it's the same exact pizza she had earlier, and then maybe is it the same? Oh, I don't know. I, I would assume that they just I went think to that she's same place tasting in town. like Wolfsbane or something. Well, yeah, yeah, it's, it's got to be that. I think that's I think it's too, too but much. I, about. I think there's a moment where she's looking, and for me, I was like, oh, maybe she's recognizing the same exact pizza she had earlier today. That Greta Gerwig was like, this pizza sucks. I think there's probably a little bit of both where she's like, oh, the pizza, at least in this town, sucks. And yeah. she looks down, mm-hmm. it's like, that's why it tastes like Wolfsbane. Or like, <laughs> you know. But I think that's all well and good, yeah. you know, in it, terms of setup. Like, But I think the one thing for me that kind of blows it, I guess, is just what we're supposed to believe about her getting to this point and not ever using the phone or doing anything to like get help or support i think there that's the nitpick i've heard is just kind of like okay it's one of those seeped up tension movies where like a person has options and they know that they're alone in the house and they could leave um but i think to jamie's point about the 400 dollars, it's like i think that's enough of a character choice to be like a person either would feel uncomfortable and feel too meek to leave or they would leave. I don't think that's a deal breaker for me, yeah. I guess. And she does have the accidental call to 911 and then they're like... Talk to Lena Dunham. Yeah, Lena yeah. Dunham, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think, I mean, the thing is, it's like, okay, out of... Let's say, not, let's just uh, we'll, we'll condense it. Out of 99 situations, you're babysitting for a creepy family. Things are going to end up totally fine. You know, like she just We've happens to be unlucky, <laughs> the unlucky one out of a hundred that, you know, ends up being the creepy satanic uh, paganist or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. Like everyone would have that internal monologue of this is creepy, but like, is anything really going to happen? And I, I think, think that's the thing I would say universally about horror movies is like, yeah, I think that we underappreciate how conflict avoidance based people's minds are. Yeah. Especially mm-hmm. in these kind of circumstances where they don't want to answer suspicions with offense or something like i think we have too much of a high standard of like guess who doesn't know they're in a horror movie today jocelyn donahue you know so like (laughs) she thinks she's in a babysitting comedy so she acts like a babysitting guy yeah in real life where it's like if you were dealing with a situation or even if in this film the character if they need to explain to someone else why they are scared or, or what's going on it's just like well I kind of haven't seen anything yet, but it feels weird here. <laughs> yeah. Can't get a hold of a, a reliable pizza. <laughs> yeah. But, I keep yeah, trying I to call that's... my one friend and it's just going to voicemail. And I think it once it starts to escalate, like that's when the effects of the pizza take place. And, you know, she she doesn't really have any choices to make after that other than waking up. Man, when she wakes up, that's a good hit of like, we've already seen the blown off face. We've already seen some hints of what's behind the room with dead bodies. We've already kind of hinted at the omniscient view of grandma. 
and waking up on a pentagram is like exactly where I was like, all right, yeah, this okay. You know, yeah. I I've been asking for something to creep around the corner, and now they're giving me whole lot of corners, a full pentagram of corners. I love the strobing effect too into those moments. It just I I remember first seeing that in the theater, and we're all just like you know half dead, hungover, and then the the bass and the whole theater starts strobing. And you're like. All right, we just went from zero to a hundred real quick. <laughs> what you wish for, Chris? <laughs> I, I, also, I don't know for sure, but you know the whole film's shot in sixteen millimeter. But I wonder if that that scene looks very different from the rest of the film, and I wonder if they shot it digitally. A, because it's so dark and it yeah. would have been easier, but also to give it that sort of like there's a there's a real shift in the energy of like what is going on, so that when we do get that cut to her on the the floor, it's like it's not just seeing her on the floor; it's like the whole. Uh, uh, like the cinematography of the film has changed yeah. like the very visuals of the film yeah the foundation it's very locked down and yeah. very zoom yeah. lens the focus and, and then that yeah. becomes like oh fuck and yeah the visual language has changed yeah is what I wanted to say. yeah the focal depths are very different these aren't old school 70s lenses it does feel like you know it could have shifted into almost like a high-end mini dv camera like one of those like skate cams yeah. and yeah. they go a lot to close up then for the whole rest of it where it's like Boom, her face, scared. Boom, Tom Noonan, hey, you know, and then yeah. boom, here's grandma. She's a horrible witch demon, witch demon crone. crone creature, you know, which that's uh, that's our connective tissue to the witch, I guess. It's just that crone throughout all of this. But um, yeah, I think this is situated pretty well going from Hellraiser just because of, you know, whether it's a basement or an attic, I just love the sense of like going into the wrong unassuming pretty house and you know somewhere just outside of window view something like this could be happening and you would never be the wiser unless you went inside so good flow in from yesterday but man i i think the ending here somewhat makes my eyes roll after a while but i yeah. remember watching this the first time and thinking like wow that was that was pretty nuts and that was pretty mm-hmm. well earned it's a fun i mean it's it's definitely a trope like we talk about it a lot of films kind of end on that little like that li- last little twist that's sort of like wink at the audience this one has like the nurse saying oh both of you and you're like yeah. oh you know and it's like and that's just the end of the film that's where we're left with this horrible reality that <laughs> Samantha is carrying. Carry, yeah, exactly. She um, killed the crone's dead. AJ Bowen's dead. The mom's dead. But you know who's alive? Tom. Noonan. Tom Noonan. I, that's the part of this movie that I'm like, there is sequel potential here because Tom <laughs> Noonan could be raising a demon spawn, and it yeah. could be like ten years old, and we could get, you know, the nurse of the devil. Would, or would you want to see a sequel? Yeah. We definitely don't want a sequel. This is very <laughs> self-contained. Um, kind of like the guest, like they have similar endings where it's like there's an implied story that continues on after the film, but we really don't need it. And I have no desire to see it. Right. It's it's a where I would like Hellraiser to to end. You know, like that's <laughs> that's what I was saying, where it's like this is a fun, contained plot that's based off one group of people that unite in this house and it's about the place even though it's attached to cosmic states you know it's like mm-hmm. but what happened and what we saw is the tension in this house so that's what i deserve to see yeah. we saw the most interesting the most interesting parts of the story happen right within this right. 90 minutes out of the basement comes a skeletal dragon flies away yeah cuts <laughs> yes. <a black. laughs> yeah that's but um i kind of started to 
go down this thread real quickly. And then I forgot that I introduced you, which we'll have to record later towards the end. So, but uh, for me, this is a movie that I kind of kept in my back pocket and would recommend to people a lot when they were asking what type of, like, I want to watch a horror movie. And I felt like this kind of fit like a lot of different tangents that I like to recommend to people, which is it's a little off mainstream. It is, you know, it's a little more focused on characters and dialogue, and it's a little bit more focused on tension. It's not jump scary. And also the, you know, retro aesthetics don't hurt either. And the 80s, you know, everyone loves that nostalgia porn sort of stuff. So this was always like the movie that I was like this and maybe two others where I just like have in my back pocket and would recommend to people. It's a fun one when people are just mentioning random movies to watch or people can't pick a horror movie. And and if you if you bring this one up and you get a majority of people haven't seen it, it's a fun one to throw right on. Yeah, because people will get pretty it's hard to just sit with and ignore and be texting like you are waiting for the shoe to drop and then for so long that you're like it's got to happen now you know and i think that's why it's a good one to recommend to people who either have the i don't like horror movies because they're predictable or i don't like horror movies because they don't scare me or i don't like horror movies because they're not original which i think is a problem that's happening less and less based off of how horror prestige horror elevated horror whatever we're going to call it is like built on unpredictability now but it's one that is like no this is this is campy this is also an homage this is also fresh but it's going to play into some tropes and you're going to enjoy that but it's also going to be the kind of thing where you're not going to predict scene to scene so it's good to relate to those people it's like this is a meat and potatoes horror movie that also doesn't do things that you'd just be like oh i saw that coming so i beat the movie (laughs) as a viewer which i, yeah. I really hate that you know, like yeah. hellraiser you know maybe is a bad example but to go back a few movies and think about something like Candyman, a lot of the scares in that movie are predictable right but like does that make Candyman not a scary movie does that make Candyman not a fresh movie does that you know it's like that's what i've been thinking about a lot during this podcast is just kind of like the enjoyment of horror movies in general leaning into tropes it's like there are other ways to be fresh, even outside mm-hmm. of like this. We're counting the right number of beats until a jump scare, you know, and that's but that's me just telling those people to relax because they're unscarable or they're so, you know, yeah, channeled into tropes. Yeah, no, like, totally. And I mean, in like horror movies in general, like some of my favorite horror movies don't like scare me necessarily. Like this one, I think, is unnerving and it obviously plays in the fears and like the uncomfortable feeling of being alone in a house and like what that's like but like i'm not like terrified of this movie by any means but it remains one of my favorite horror movies you know for a reason i think it's just it knows what it's doing is what i would say and there's a there's a certain confidence behind the camera and in front of the camera to say like we are taking this these old film or you know this this genre and we're adding like a little bit of like early 2000s naturalistic mumblecore shit into it yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's just why you have to put your guard down a lot, especially when you're watching something that's like this. And maybe you'd be like, this person who made this movie has the same relationship to the movies that they like as maybe I do. So you're going to come into it with this air of superiority or like, well, you know, did they know about how this movie subverted that trope? Already? It's like, no, this is just somebody's attempt to do something that is reverential in a place now where everything is so postmodern about deconstruction where <laughs> it becomes impossible to be yeah. holistic, you know, a completely fresh movie, but it's like, 
this movie does enough. It does enough to make mm-hmm. an enjo- a really enjoyable, well-crafted 90 minutes as opposed to other things that are either trying so hard only to be fresh that they don't ever connect or things that are leaning in so much that they're hacky and, you know, are worthy of criticism. So enjoy yeah. things, I guess, is my <laughs> my recommendation. It toes it toes that line almost perfectly. It, it does it so well. It's it doesn't fall into either of those camps that you just mentioned where it's it's either a remake or it's Stranger Things. And you're just like, I, I get where you're pulling from. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, I mean, in conclusion, like House of the Devil, I think it's like a new, I, I consider it like a new classic. I've always been a fan. I'm glad we got to watch it and talk about it a little bit more in depth, figure out how the the, the Satanists, how their plan worked. <laughs> oh, and I will say one small personal tidbit was that many years ago, I made a fake Criterion cover of the House of the Devil of this mo- oh, nice. and tweeted it and Ty West liked the tweet. We will there post we on our socials. You know, <laughs> yeah. And but now, now looking back on it, I don't even really like the cover. I would totally change the design, but it's just like one of the highlights no. of my it was early the 2010 career version you needed to of have. faking Criterion covers. And I, yeah, I think um, just to cap this off too, like it just plays really well within this whole week. I think of of horror movies and how they relate to Halloween, and especially just one eclipse. One full moon, one bad call from one bad employer of babysitters can kind of rip you from a really naturalistic state and really naturalistic college experience and youthfulness into this whole, you know, pulled veil into the occult, into the paranormal, into this gleefully bloody place that can only happen on that one ill fortune night. Yeah, that's very Halloween for us. So fits right smack dab on the list. And uh and tomorrow we're doing another new classic, I would say. Another step forward maybe towards Stranger Things in terms of it getting a little bit more into the early development of let's pump in the synthesizer, much like the guest, mm-hmm. you know, things that edge on being, you know, strict reference to trying to make it feel like an 80s thing. But I think it's a perfect example of that and maybe inspired a lot of horror movies that took it a little too far and now have become a little frustrating. But this one, I think, is came just at a perfect time to be really, really fresh. Yeah, it's it gives you a similar amount of slow tension. Yeah, so <laughs> be prepared for what follows tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, that was we'll good. see if that makes it. All right, peace. Bye. Bye.